What is up to the point listeners? This is a special episode, a live clip from Rhino X 2022 with the future first ballot hall of famer, Larry Fitzgerald, Larry legend. Obviously this is a live event. So the audio is not as crisp as normal, but the content is as fire as ever. So we hope you enjoyed this episode with my man, Mr. Larry Fitzgerald, number 11 for the Arizona Cardinals. This is To The Point, a Rhino experience, voted one of the top home services marketing and operations podcasts, cutting through the bullshit and getting to the point. Everybody raise up. Uh, across campus. I was so excited. 
I'm going through my sophomore year. I was, you know, picked to be an All-American and all these accolades, like the call and watch list and all of these things. And I was about a week in the training camp. Um, and I was dominant. I was the best player on the field, um, far and away. And I tore my hamstring. And immediately I was going down the left side of the field. I remember like it was yesterday. I went up to go get a ball, go get a ball that was thrown a little bit behind me off the back. I was tracking it, going up to get it, and I felt this pop in my hamstring. And, you know, I, I, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know how severe it was, how long I would be out, what the ramifications of the injury was. And um, I just remember laying there on that ground, you know, I had the towel on my face and, you know, tears started to kind of rush down my, my face because I, I didn't know what to expect. And, um, you know, I've seen guys injured before on many different occasions. You play as long as I've, I've played. I've seen the most famous things you can imagine, guys carted off. Um, but dealing with it yourself, um, it, it's completely different. There's a flood of emotions that are so intense, you know, the doubt, the uncertainty, um, all of these bad thoughts that come into your mind, and, you know, trying to be able to work your way through those um, was, was very tough after a really, really tough offseason um, you know, the year before. Um, you know, I had all my hopes and dreams on the football field. The, the prospect of, you know, losing everything that I was dreaming about, um, you know, was, was, was tough to deal with. It was really tough to deal with. And to be honest with you, you know, at that point in my career, I'd never given any thought, you know, to the big picture of life and legacy. It's not something I ever even considered. I was living my football life, um, you know, just one day at a time. Uh, I was not living it with intentionality. Um, I was reacting to life. I was riding waves the best I could, rather than living it purposefully. Um, I think we're more susceptible to this life, uh, type of thinking, though, especially when we're young. We're full of dreams, the vision, the excitement, but really, we're just living our lives, you know, day to day, um, without much planning. And very few of us are thinking strategically about the idea of building. I use that term very specifically. What are we building with our lives? A meaningful legacy doesn't happen by accident. And it doesn't happen at all, at once. Just like a beautiful home, or incredible stadiums that you guys have all been into. It must be designed, engineered, the foundation laid, the plans modified, the frame built, brick by brick, one by one. Our legacies are very similar to that. If they're going to be lasting, strong, and beautiful, they must be built by design, piece by piece, step by step. In those younger years, I was definitely not building by design. I remember the year when I was drafted. I thought I had reached the pinnacle of my success. All my dreams were starting to come, come true. And it kind of dawned on me a little bit before the draft. I was sitting there with all of my family. Um, I was at the Chicago building. Um, my grandfather was, uh, he was battling some complications and diabetes. He had just um, had his left half of his foot removed from complications, so he couldn't travel to New York. So I decided to stay and be with family. So we invited probably 15, 16 of my closest friends, relatives, anybody that had a positive impact on me as I as I grew up. And I remember, you know, just thinking, wow, this is this is amazing to be able to to really, you know, cash in on my dream. You know, I put in so much work to get to this point. And I remember getting a call from the Cardinals. First off, I'll take it back a little bit. I got a call from the, from the Oakland Raiders. Um, they called me and I thought I was going to go number two. They just called me to give me the courtesy to let me know that they were going to pass me. They really liked and enjoyed me. And they thought I was a great player, but they had a need in the offensive line. So they drafted Robert Gallery, who was, a, um, was an, all, um, an All-American tackle from the University of Iowa, a great player, um, played about 10, 11 years in the National Football League. And uh, it, was, it was nice of him to do that. And then I remember getting a call. And about five minutes after that, I opened his dream. And, um, you know, it was, it, was a, it was one of the greatest moments ever to be able to have my little flip phone and see him calling me. <laughs> and after I got the coach Green, you know, like the family and all my friends were just like overcome with emotion. And I remember seeing everybody just, just come up and just love on me, and it, and it felt great. And then immediately, I had this other feeling that came to me. I was thinking, I, I haven't done any of this. I haven't really accomplished much of anything. 
All I've done is earned an opportunity to go do something else. It's almost like a promotion at work, right? I mean, you've done a great job to get that, but now the promotion comes with more responsibility, um, better pay, but a lot more, you know, adversity potentially, a lot more drama, more people you have to, to manage, you know. So every every time you step up, you know, there's there's a lot more complications that come with it. Um, and so I, I started thinking about, man, I'm 20 years old. I'm going to the National Football League where it's ultra competitive. Playing against the very best athletes in the entire world. They have families. This is this is not an occupation. This is their this is their this is their job. This is not a hobby for them. They don't go to school half the day and then go to practice and play. Like, this is what they do every single day. Um, and the gravity of the moment kind of like started to call me, and um, I started thinking about you know what I needed to do um, to, to make sure not only did I make it to the National Football League, but I was able to have a long-lasting career. Um, and perhaps the biggest lesson about legacy building that I learned as I transitioned to the NFL um, was I wanted to leave a mark. Um, and for me to have sustained success, you must recalibrate your goals. Even if you've been successful to that point, you must recalibrate. That doesn't necessarily mean your goals must change, but it likely does mean that you must adjust. And if, to adjust, you have to do that in, in a lot of different ways. Um, and and I, my goal was to be great, and I knew I needed to adjust what I did in college because that wasn't going to be good enough for me to be great at the next level. Um, the application is transcended across sports and business. What you did last season doesn't mean much. Maybe nothing at all if you think about it. Um, it had nothing to do with what you're going to do this season. Um, if anything, it puts a bigger bullseye on, on your back. If you had great numbers the year before, um, you know, everybody expects you not only to reach those, but to exceed those numbers. Um, profitability, your revenue growth, sales records, all of that stuff, it, it has value. It builds your confidence, even maybe inflates your ego a bit, but they don't guarantee anything the following year. If you want to leave a truly meaningful legacy, you must build year after year. You must recalibrate your goals, find ways to get better. New solutions to new challenges. Always hunger to be better this year and better for the next year. I often tell the story um, about the impact I, uh, two men had on me when I first got to the National Football League. Um, one, one is Emmitt Smith. He's the NFL's all-time leader rusher. He played um, 15 years with the Dallas Cowboys, 14 years with the Dallas Cowboys, and finished his last two years with the Arizona Cardinals. And, I don't know if it was an intentional thing by my team, but they put me right next to Emmitt Smith when I first got there, my first day of, of minicamp. There is the, the leading rusher of all time, Emmitt Smith, sitting next to me. And I didn't know if I should go shake his hand, get on my knees and bow to him, <laughs> ask him if he wanted anything to drink or eat. Like, it was like one of those moments, like, this is Emmitt Smith, oh my God, you know? And so I did what like all young kids do when they see somebody there. You're cool, you kind of ignore them, you kind of like, you know. <laughs> and I remember they made, like, uh, when I sat down in a locker, he said, boy, you going to sit over here and not speak? You know, and, uh, and I always, like, he just broke the ice for me right there. And from that point on, I was like, he couldn't, he couldn't detach me from him Smith. Whatever he did, if he ate grapes in the morning for breakfast, I ate grapes in the breakfast. And if he... If he, if he dropped the deuce in the third stall, <laughs> I was waiting to drop my deuce in the third stall. If he showered on the fifth stall, I showered on the fifth stall. Like, literally, everything I did, um, everything he did, I did. Like, you know, for, remember the first road trip we took, it was a preseason game in Minnesota, and we were required to wear a suit to the game. And I wore my suit on the plane to the game, and then the next day, I got, you know, at 7 o'clock kickoff, I wore the same suit to the game. He was like, look, Wearing the same suit two days in a row. Like, yeah, the coach didn't say we had to bring two suits. Come on, man, you gotta, you gotta make sure you bring two suits. You don't want to wear the same clothes two days in a row, right? Yeah, you're right. You gotta, <laughs> and so, and then uh, a couple weeks after that, he pulled me aside. I had a pretty good game weeks after that. He saw my press conference and said, Look, I really, really like the way you handled yourself in that press conference. You were articulate. You were, you were punctual, you made some good points, but I didn't like the fact that you were sweats in the interview. He said that every single time people see you on TV, most of the time you have a helmet on. 
You're not able to build your brand, your personal brand. You're building your professional brand, but not building your personal brand. You say, well, you were assumed people equate you with a businessman as a professional, um, and, and that can create opportunities for you off the field. They might they, they might not happen today or tomorrow or next week, but you never know what's going to happen five, 10, 15 years from now. And now Andy Smith is a very successful real estate developer in Dallas. Um, you know, he has a $150 million business that he does every single year, and he continues to grow. Um, and, you know, that was, uh, he wouldn't have possibly got that opportunity if he wasn't conducting himself as a businessman when he was playing. Um, and so, Emmett was, was somebody that I really, really admired. Um, and, um, and I was very blessed, of course, to be able to play with him over the year. Then the second person that, uh, that really, really had a great impact on me was Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner came to us the following years. Emmett retired after my rookie year. It was very tough to see him go, um, but happy that he was able to live a great, um, a great career and do everything he had set out to do. And Kurt was completely different. Um, you know, Emmett was much more laid back and kind of loosey-goosey. Kurt was much more rigid. Um, he had no problems telling you exactly what he was thinking. Um, you know, I remember I was out there and I was having a great training camp, making all type of plays, and he said, Larry, you're, you're a really good football player, but I, I, can't, I can't trust you. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know if you're, if you're, if you're running a curl route, I'm supposed to be expecting you to come out there and break at 14 yards, and you're coming out there at 11 and 12 yards. I can't, I can't trust you. You trust me to throw you the ball? I said, absolutely, you're a quarterback. Because I need to trust you that you're going to be doing exactly what we're coaching you to do on every single snap. And, you know, I made a career by just kind of freestyling. Just, I was so athletic and fast and quick and gifted. And my catching radius was so big that I could overcome, you know, technique flaws, right? And, he's, and he would always tell me that. I mean, you're a really good football player. and You will be a really good football player the entirety of your career if you don't hone in on the details. Um, Jerry Rice and Isaac Bruce and Tim Brown, all those great, great players, not only were they tremendous athletes, but they also focused on the, on the details. They didn't know what just their assignment was. They, they knew everybody's assignment. They knew the protections. They knew who was hot, who, was, who had the run sites. They knew the overfronts. They knew the coverages. They knew everything. And that's what made them so great because they took the onus to know everything um, and to work hard and do everything they needed to do to be special. And Kurt really took my mental to another level. I had, I had the physical gifts, but the preparation wasn't there until Kurt got there. And, and, and it is different if it's like from another receiver telling you, because you look at him and you say, you play my position, you're not as good as I am. How are you going to tell me something like that? But it's, when is the person that's, you know, essentially feeding you, telling you that, you know, it kind of, it, it translates a little different to you. Um, and I remember, you know, one day we were sitting at his house, he invited me to Thanksgiving, and, and I was over there, and, um, and he put his arm around me and he was like, Larry, I'm really proud of the progress that you made. You took the things that we worked on this spring and you applied them to, the, to what we're trying to do now. And I remember that being one of my best years. He caught like 11, 12 touchdowns that year, 1,500 yards, 100-something catches, and I uh, made my first Pro Bowl. I remember him giving me this beautiful picture of us together on the field after a touchdown we had scored. And he was like, Larry, this, this should be what you should be doing every single year. If you're that talented, and no matter if I'm here or if I'm not here, you have to hold yourself to that same standard um, when, when you're playing and when you're building. And so those two, I mean, it was a godsend to be able to have two of the greatest players, two Hall of Famers, back-to-back, teach me in completely different ways how to be great and how to be. And, um, and then on the personal side, Kurt, um, not only as a, as a great football player, in terms of his, who he is as a person, Man, it was, it was unbelievable. I'll never forget. It was week 16. We were playing against the Houston Texans in Texas. And uh, two weeks earlier, Kirk just had twin, his twin daughters, Sierra and Sienna. Um, they were born premature. And Kirk's wife, a couple of days, had just been uh, admitted to the hospital. They had caught a blood clot. Unfortunately, didn't get to her lungs. But if it would have, they would have killed her. And um, he had, in that game against Houston, he ended up tearing his MCL. She was now done for the season. And I remember just sitting in the training room with him. I went and gave him a hug and told him I was really sorry about that. And he said, Larry, there's nothing to be sorry about. This is, this is the plan that God has for me. I will follow the script. I'm going to live my life the very best way I know. This is not going to shake me. And it wasn't like he was just telling me that to reassure me because I was visibly hurt and I was, I was sad for him, but he was convicted in what he was telling me. And 
I, I learned I learned so much from that very moment because you know anything at 21 years old would have shaken me up. You know, drop pass, miss block. But to see a man go through that much adversity in that short a period of time and handle it with such grace and dignity was was like monumental for me to be able to see, and it really helped me. Like as I move forward, the things that I was dealing with, and uh, you know, rather be on the field or off the field. So those two really, really made a you know a huge impact in me in terms of football. Um, and we always have people who you know really pour into us. And when I got here to Arizona, um, I got to be pretty close with a guy, Robert Sarver. Mr. Sarver actually owns the Phoenix Suns. And on the business side, you know, I was a young kid that you know didn't really know. What I didn't know, you know, thought I knew a little bit of this, thought I knew a little bit of that. And some people would say, you know enough just to get hurt, like just to put money behind something stupid, right? Um, and which is our own, you know, he's one of those guys that I've met that really took um, not only the time to help me, you know, invest my money and do things like that, but he took the time to teach me. Um, there's a big difference in life between somebody who feeds you. And there's a difference between somebody who teaches you how to fish. Um, somebody who teaches you how to fish, sits you down on the rock outside of the lake, they put the cheese or, or, or the night crawler or whatever it is on the bait. They show you the proper way how to cast, the proper way how to reel, um, to bring it in with the net, um, how to gently remove the hook from the mouth, um, you know, how to fillet the fish, how to fry it, how to, how to season it, um, until you can eat it, right? That's 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 not just serving me with fish like a lot of people often do in life. They just, they give anything, but you never learn anything from it. And he was the first person on the business side that really took the time to really teach me. Very um, similar to the lessons that I learned from Emma Smith and Kurt Warner. He did the same thing for me on the business side, and um, it's been it's been a, a game changer over the last ten years. You know what I've been able to accomplish. You know, even while I was playing. Being able to do some of the things that I was really interested in uh, on, the, on, the, on the business side. SmartAC.com, SmartAC.com. If you haven't heard of it, you better find out. If you haven't implemented it, you better check it out. You have to get started doing something. 2024 is going to be an absolute battlefield. What are you doing differently than your competitors? You need to make sure that your memberships are sticky. SmartAC.com does that. Lifetime warranty, insurance savings, filter discounts, 24-7 monitoring that lets you know about problems before the homeowner might even know about the problem. Live tech chat, service providers, all of this with smartac.com. You've got to check it out now. Another powerful truth I learned about legacy from champions on the field and in the boardroom is a legacy rarely comes without challenges. It comes with pain, loss, grief. Part of the legacy we leave will be the story about what we were able to overcome, the challenges that we faced, how we pushed through when the odds were against us, how we never gave up, even when we experienced failures. Those elements of legacy uh, are the most powerful because challenges, loss, and grief are often common, as we all know. So those who see what we left behind can also see that we did it in the midst of challenges and sometimes unfair circumstances. A legacy that demonstrates perseverance and resilience. And that 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 is what you know Kurt Emmett and, and, and Mr. Sarr did for me. Um, this example of legacy built through pain and grief was demonstrated to me um, so powerfully by my, my late mother and the lessons that she taught me. Um, I lost my mother to a, a long battle with cancer. Um, in 2003, and her first diagnosis of cancer came in 1997. So, ran her mission twice, and it came back a third time, and it took her life. But so many times throughout the course of her her, her cancer battle, you know, she used as great learning tools for us as, as youngsters. And my mom, she 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 had a very interesting way of teaching us things, and I try to do what my kids doesn't always work. I've got three sons, and uh, you know, as you guys all know, we have children. Children are so different. You know, they get raised in the same house, same parents, same school, same school, same room. Everything could be the same, but they can be different. And uh, I remember, mom used to always test us. 
you know, she would let us go to the mall and, and you know, tell her we're going to meet, we're going to be back at this location, right? And then she would intentionally show up like 20, 30 minutes late just to see how we respond to, to adversity or, you know, tell us we were going one place and then we would go somewhere completely opposite just to always teach us to be able to adjust to things that are going to happen. Because in life, you never know. You know I, I said, I, I looked at the, the map quest from, from my house to this hotel. Tasha told me to be here at a certain time. And on map quest, it said it was going to be that time. But it didn't take into account that, you know, the 51 was going to be backed up. There was going to be somebody, you know, one of the lanes was going to be closed. And, you know, it was going to be a little traffic back up for 15 minutes there. I'm trying to get off baseline. And, Tasha got the driver coming over here to think so he takes the wrong turn. Like, there's so many things in life that are like that, you know, that you, that you don't account for. You know, you think you have a good plan, and, and the plan never comes, you know, the way you think is going to work out. And my mom always did that. Um, she always wanted to test us. So, you know, now, like, like I'm pretty much unflappable. Like, it's, it doesn't, it, you know, there's it's not many things that really frustrate me or get me upset or... You know, maybe you know, I act out because you know I, I just kind of really roll with the punches. You know, I, um, there's only a few things in life that you really actually do have control over. Um, one of them is you know your attitude, and the other one is your, is your effort. And often, often I hear people always now in a gang and teenage would talk about, man, the weather is so bad. I'm like, don't they have to play in that same weather as we do? They got to catch the football in that weather too. They got to tackle in that weather as well. And yeah, it's 110 degrees here or something else. They but they have to they have to stay hydrated. Just like I mean, like everything is is even. Um, and so like I, in life, just imagine if the playing field was all we needed. You know, like like I feel like that's a huge advantage in sports. I mean, in basketball, the rim never changes. It's 10 feet tall every single night. Um, the ball is the same size. The court the court dimensions are the same. I mean, like. It's an even playing field, um, and so my mom used to always really push us to to like never let circumstances and things you know get in the way of you you know keeping a positive mindset. And um, I just remember this one time we were sitting in our house, we were we were in the bed, and she was in the midst of her uh, of her chemotherapy, and we were sitting in the bed, and she looked at both my brother and I. She pretty much was always truthful with this, and she, and she was like, "Look, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to survive this. You know, the cancer is now moving to my brain. Um, we're going to start a trial. We're going to start some trial, clinical trials down in Rochester, the Mayo Clinic. So we would drive down there every Saturday for some experimental treatments. And I remember telling us, you know, don't use this pain, you know, as an as an excuse um, to not reach your full potential." Um, don't allow the grief, you know, to, to change the direction of your life. And, you know, for somebody to have the, the wherewithal, you know, as a battle, you know, at the end of their life to be able to give their children some pertinent information like that, you know, really resonated with me. Um, and, you know, I remember, you know, after she passed, um, I, was, I was in my freshman year of college and, you know, I was, I was devastated. You know, I was, you know, like the lowest low that you could imagine. Um, you know, I wasn't home to be able to be with her, you know, on her, on her final days because I was in school. My dad and my brother were there, you know, to, to be there. Um, I got a call. I was just walking up the practice field, and my coach told me, there it's time for you to go home. And I went home, and by the time I got back, she was already in a coma and not responsive. Um, and so it was, it was a very difficult time. And, uh, and I often thought about what she told me at that moment. You know, I had to put it a little bit about not letting those circumstances of grief you know, derail me from getting to her. You know, I'd always hoped to, to get it. And, um, you know, I thought about leaving school, coming back, thought about, you know, a lot of, a lot of crazy places and things. You know, my mind went to some weird places that I never, never experienced. You know, lost my appetite, dropped probably 10 pounds. And, you know, it was ball and, and, and it's a problem that I had at school that was in the ability to kind of you know, get me back in the right state of mind. Um, you know, you take for granted sometimes when you're when you're in that, you know, how close you guys are. You know, you live with your teammates, you dine with your teammates, you study with your teammates, you play video games with your teammates, you go to the club with your teammates, you do everything. And that really was uh, the support that I, that I really needed. And, you know, I just remember 
I just completely rededicated myself to, to getting where I was trying to get to. Um, but it was definitely the lessons that my mother taught me for the 19 years prior to that that was really able to help me you know, get to that mindset. Um, you know, it was, it was painful and, uh, you know, it was piercing. Um, you know, but it was empowering, it was empowering um, because it was truthful. And that's what really, really stuck out with me. You know, part of her legacy was planted in me and in my heart that day. Um, one of those fundamental legacies, those stones was laid um, in the bedrock of the way I go about my life and the way I teach my children um, today. As I continue, um, and I'm always considering her work and the impact that she had on me, I realized that her legacy and her death um, are deeply connected. We all pass on. And in that passing, there's a, that tests our legacy. Um, and the truth, and the truth, you know, will be told, you know, as you continue to live your life beyond that. Her legacy to me and her passing is profound and powerful. Um, you know, don't be a victim. Uh, don't allow circumstances to dictate your life. Uh, perseverance. Make sure you're always, you know, behaving. Don't give up. You know, never surrender. Be, be generous to people. Um, it takes nothing, it takes no effort to be nice. It takes no effort. She used to always tell me, Eric, it takes, it takes zero skill to be nice. Zero skill, like she tell me that all the time. You know? <laughs> I would say something snappy, like it takes nothing for you to be kind. You have to think. You have to think about saying something bad or doing something bad. Like you have to think about that. Being nice takes none of that. You know, just 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 be kind. You know, I remember, I remember that. Um, even even like thinking back, the last time my mom checked herself into the hospital, there was another woman she knew that actually worked at one of her nonprofits that she she helped fund or find uh, found. And she went and saw her before she checked herself into, into the hospital. And so she just had a selflessness about her that, um, that always just, you know, was amazing. And, um, you know, every time I think about, you know, that it just brings, it brings so much, uh, you know, pride to my heart that, you know, she was that type of person. And, and I could be half of her, you know, that, that means a lot to me. Um, you know, the powerful words from, from my mother, you know, were later, were later resonate deeply in my life. Um, and it would also resonate a lot for me, you know, dealing with the greatest loss of my professional career as well. And in 2008, we had a chance to play a Super Bowl against the Pittsburgh Steelers in, uh, in Tampa. It was something that, you know, anybody that watches football, plays football, dreams about having an opportunity one day to play on that stage. And, you know, I remember my dad, my dad's cover, he's at a Super Bowl right now, he called me earlier today, he's actually in LA right now, he's been covering his 45th Super Bowl, um, he's a journalist in the Twin Cities area, and he's covered sports, you know, that entire time, and I remember going to, you know, Super Bowl here, when the Pittsburgh Steelers played against um, the Dallas Cowboys, I mean, I went to the Buffalo Bills, I played against Washington Redskins, I think I went to like seven or eight Super Bowls as a kid, um, it was like the greatest thing that you could ever imagine, the halftime show, I remember in Pasadena with Whitney Houston, like, literally blew the longest national anthem of I've ever seen national anthem like four minutes, but it was worth four minutes of it. Was, it, was that, it was that special. Um, and to, to have the chance to be able to play in that game, it was like, it was like nothing I've ever experienced. I mean, you got on that field, and the first thing you see, you see all these, like, Generals and admirals in the field, with all these stars on their shoulders, and you see, you know, Roger Goodell, the commissioner, and you see all these famous people walking the sidelines, and like there's just something different in the air. It's a different feel, and the cameras is so much um, surrounding the game. And I remember just being like so nervous, 25 years old, and like I got back to the locker room and I just like buried myself in my playbook and just looked at everything, every note that I took for the last two weeks as I prepared for that game. And I, I was so nervous. I cannot tell you how, how nervous I was, you know, to know that there was literally tens of millions of people that were going to be watching every single step and every single play that you had in that game. Um, it was almost paralyzing. And then I just sat back and I started thinking about the great moments in Super Bowl, the plays that you think back and you watch the NFL films, uh, we run when they run games, and Lance Vaughn making the big the third down play for the Pittsburgh Steelers, or Marcus Allen's cutback touchdown, they housed, or 
um, to throw that Joe Montana May um, to, to Jared Rice to beat the Cincinnati Bengals in the Superdome. And, like all of these great moments started like flooding my mind. I'm thinking, I want to have that type of legacy in today's game. I have the ability. I prepared. I've done everything in my power to get ready to go out there and put forth the dominant performance. Um, right? And like that was my mindset. You know, I went from being a little meek, uh, had been intimidated, even a little scared of the moment, to really step out of that locker room with a renewed sense of purpose. Um, and I remember taking that field and thinking, I'm going to own this field today. I'm going to be the best player on this field today. And you know, going out there, playing for the best of my ability, having a, a record, record day, you know, even putting my team in the lead late in the game, which is under two minutes to go. Um, you know, like for a moment, I thought that maybe you know we had we had, had a chance to win the championship. Um, unfortunately, we fell short. Um, you know, I've never in my life have I dealt with like such a fast swing of emotions. Right, you go from possibly being a Super Bowl MVP to being in the in the in the in the basement of a stadium. You know. Wiping tears from your eyes in, in literally three minutes. So it was like the the fastest turnaround I've ever I've ever had. Um, you know, it, it taught it taught me a lot. You know, defeat always teaches me a lot of lessons. And that day, you know, I, I remember sitting in my locker for about five minutes and just letting all my emotions out. Um, and then I got up, I got in the shower, I came back again. I sat in my towel for about two minutes and just looked looking in my notes and the goals that I had set for myself before. And every single goal that I set for myself, I actually ex- exceeded the goals that I had set for myself. And so, you know, I was really beat down emotionally, but when I looked at the things that I had set out to accomplish outside of winning that game, I was able to do that. And so, like I said, look, if, if I fell short this year and I accomplished a lot of the things that I had set for myself, like I'm on the right path. And so I need to continue to do the things that allow me to get to this position and not be in this position, but to excel in this position. I need to continue to do those things. And, and hopefully, you know, that will put me in position if I'm in this opportunity, if I have this opportunity again, to be able to take advantage of it the next time. Um, and so, like, it was, it was one of those moments, again, you know, that was, like, defining for me. Um, you know, as I look back, it was, it was, it truly was, you know, everybody in this room can say, you can look back in just five instances in your life that, that you can say truly define who you are, or the things that you believe in, or, um, or the causes that you support, right? Um, and that was one of those defining moments in, in my life. And, you know, there's, there's other moments that, you know, really, um, like, come back to mind, you know, as I think about it. I'm, I'm an avid traveler. I travel all across the world. I've been to 108 countries, um, you know, in all seven continents. And I remember my very first experience uh, leaving the United States, not the United States. Um, I went to Australia, and I was 20 years old. I'd never gone anywhere before, and I went. I went for 40 days. And when I was young, I used to travel with myself all the time because I was like, when you're by yourself, you really get to learn more about yourself. Um, you know, uh, and you go with a group of people, you know, you always have conversations, you know, with the same people that you're there with. Um, there's always a collective group putting together the decision on what museum, what activity, what restaurant, all these things. And when you're by yourself, you know, it forces you to go eat dinner and maybe sit at the bar and talk to somebody from Germany that you would never kind of chance to meet or somebody from Swahili that you, or not Swahili, but uh, Uganda that you would have never met. Um, it, it forces you out of your comfort zone and gets you to see the world and places and people in a different light. You know, I never really subscribed to, um, you know, see what people watch the news and say, oh man, that, 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 that place is, looks dangerous. It's, it's, it's not dangerous. There's people everywhere that are good, there's people everywhere that are bad, no matter religion, um, no matter color. And, you know, I, I always wanted to go out and experience stuff for myself. And so, Going back to the vacation in Australia, I went there for 40 days. I remember landing in the city. I kind of had like a, a tentative plan, but I didn't really have a plan. You know, so I was kind of winging it. And I got to Sydney. I went out, um, 
you know, went to Sydney Harbor, um, uh, to go see like all the sites, did the bridge walks, and I you know, really like like dove into the culture. You know, went to the Aboriginal cultural centers and learned about the history of the country. Went to the Great Barrier Reef. Um, I backpacked, you know, for like four or five days in the middle of the country. Um, stayed with an Aboriginal uh, family, like. The mills, learn about the tradition, like really just like immerse myself in the culture, and I, I just I just loved doing that. Um, you know, I did the same thing the following year when I went to Asia. I went to Asia the next year for like forty days again, and the highlight of the trip for me was a trip that I went to Vietnam. And I got into Hanoi. I had met Senator McCain not too long before that. He really recommended that I go visit Vietnam and. I remember going to see Lake Hanoi where this plane was shot out of the sky and the crashed into the water there and saw the, the actual jail cell that kept him in his tattered uniform and all the things that um, happened to him, read, read the bridge reports, and you know, he encouraged me to, to go. And it really just made me have even greater appreciation for him and his sacrifice for our country. Um, you know, the relationship I was able to develop with him was, was amazing. Um, he was the main reason I, I took that trip. To Vietnam in particular. Um, and I remember I stayed in Vietnam for I think 11 days and I did a, I did a bike tour. And uh, I actually rode my bike, you know, from Hanoi all the way, all the way down to Ho Chi Minh, which is in the very bottom of the country. And I arranged with my travel to be able to stay with different families as I went from city to city. So I mean, literally I stayed in rice fields and like small remote villages where nobody spoke English. And my tour guide was studying. Who was studying um, English in the university. And so I hired him to kind of you know, take him through the country. And every single night, essentially over dinner, I would have some family talk to me in, in, in their native tongue to, to my guy and translate it to me. And like, it was just amazing to see um, just how content people were, um, you know, how happy they were with what we look at sometimes in Western civilization. Is, you know, poverty, they look at it as, you know, they were rich because they had family that they loved. They had a meal to eat every day. They had a job that they truly, um, really, re they really relished the opportunity to go to work. I mean, so some of the things that, you know, that I thought was really valued, I learned when I was traveling that, you know, sometimes the things don't have that much significance or value um, in, in life, you know, in the grand scheme of things. You know, when we get to heaven one day, nobody's going to care about how many cars we had, how many watches. How big your home was, all the things that are really not really relevant. Um, you know, those are the things I learned, you know, through our traveling when I was, you know, just hanging around. And one of the last days of the Vietnam trip, I was able to go to my school guys, father, parents, parents' house. They cooked this amazing Vietnamese meal. And his dad actually was um, the equivalent of a Navy SEAL in, 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 in the Vietnam Army. And you know, you hear about the Vietnam War, it was like the first war that was really, you know, broadcast to, to, to the country. You know, people were able to actually watch it from home and um, you learned about, you know, how the troops were treated when they came home and just how much people didn't approve of the war. And, you know, to be able to learn it from their perspective, you know, I said, you know, he was telling me, like, I, I had no issues with Americans. I, I never even met an American until, until the war happened. Um, you know, I've never watched an American TV, haven't heard an American music. You know, why would they be concerned about the way I live my life, the way I raise my children, um, the things that I do in my country? I don't have any issue with the way they live in their country. And um, you know, he started walking me through, like, the thought process of how they would, they would attack the armies or the Marines that were coming over here. How could they can assemble and disassemble, you know, anti-aircraft? Missed the launchers from the ground in less than three minutes and get it under the ground. And from like 10 o'clock in the evening to like 2 o'clock in the morning, listening to the, to the stories. And, you know, travel I've learned is one of the few things that actually cost money that make you rich. Um, you, you truly become better, more well rounded when you're able to, to go and learn other people's cultures. And, you know, something I've always, you know, took a lot of pride in. Um, Another trip that I, I really look back and um, I think finally of my trip to Israel. Um, you know, I grew up Southern Baptist, and you know, religion and Christianity was something that was 
it's really prevalent in our lives. And um, I remember going um, to Jerusalem and you know, walking the same path that Jesus was forced to carry his cross on. Um, you know, seeing you know Bethlehem where he was born, swimming in the Dead Sea, and, like all of these unbelievable stories from Scripture that I was able to experience. And, it was like it was a high body experience to be able to go do some of those things. Um, like it was it was spectacular. Um, you know, the experiences weren't just adventures for me. Um, they they taught me more about others um, around the world. And more importantly, it, it taught me a lot about myself. And, and it's also made me consider even more about the legacies, not only myself but of other people. Um, so, what legacies are you going to leave? I ask, and how do you plan to get there? Ambition without action is only wishful thinking. What we will do today to begin building a lasting, meaningful legacy. And in closing, I offer all of this, all of you a challenge. Let's not build legacies for the purpose of being remembered. That's a little self-centered motivation. Instead, let's build a legacy that inspires others and makes this world a better place for those who come after us. I think that's um, the goal that we all should consider as we, as we continue to move forward in life. I um, just want to thank you guys for letting me come up and talk to you a little bit about some of the experiences I've had in life. And um, I guess I'm going to answer a few questions if you guys have any for me. So thank you very much, and uh, I hope you guys have a great rest of your conference. Oh, you're going to fix the carpet? Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody have any questions? We'll take a couple up. We're a little bit over, but then we'll go straight to the, uh, the, the meet and greet bit. Uh, get, get your hands up first. You need a mic. Actually, get on the microphone. This is record. Okay, Larry. So you, you talked about earlier in career. You, uh, I don't remember the names, but you started following uh, a player you admired. And on this route, and the comment you made was something like paraphrasing, um, you know, you, you got to this place where you're at athleticism, right? And, and uh, your uh, instinct, yet you refined it and you really got to grab that discipline piece into the details, right? So, from that point, when you finally grab the discipline details, how, how would you describe that your, your performance increased by, by adding the detail piece to it? I went from being a really good player to being a great player, like in a matter of a year. Um, because like, I, I almost had like a, a bad, I was thinking poorly because I, I was thinking like, man, I'm already better than everybody. But you know, you can't think like that. You got to think like much grander than that, and that's what they've been encouraged through the challenge things. Like being good is, is cool, but great is available though. And you actually not only have the ability, but you have the work ethic to be great. Like why would you not want to want to do that? And so you know those two just really challenged me in a way that I had that I hadn't been challenged. You know, when I was a kid I actually was a ball boy for the Vikings in, in Twin City. So I got a chance to see great players, you know, at their at their peak. But you know, until you're in that position, you know, you can watch other people do it, you can, you know, emulate them. But when you're in the heat of the moment and you have the opportunity to do something, like it, it's different. And I needed to be challenged like that. And that's why I mentioned those two because they really did challenge me. They pushed me. Um, they knew when they, they needed to kick me in the ass and they also knew when they needed to put their arm around me. And um, they, they, they both of them quite often. Hey Larry, so my question is this, can you tell us what it feels like to smoke a DB on a 50 yard bomb or a touchdown with 80,000 people going after it's, it's, it's a great, It's a great feeling, but there's no way you get that feeling without the work that's required to be able to do that. Um, and the thing that makes football so unique is like you only play the game 10% of the time 
even less than that is actually game time. It's not like the NBA where they play three, four days a week. Major League Baseball plays every single day. Um, like we play once a week. We have one opportunity. So everything is mostly about preparation. So like that catch you see me make for 50 yards and touchdown, like I've literally done that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in practice. People ask me what my greatest catch was. I got like whatever catch you could find out of you know, 1,400 catches I made in the National Football League, I could, I could show you 100 better ones that I made in practice. I literally did. Because you do it every day, you know, catching it with the three people around you. Remember catching the ball backwards one time, I couldn't get my head around it. You do it back shorter, and I, and I literally put my hand out on the card, and I wasn't look, I'm looking back this way. Like, you know, just plays that were just unbelievable in practice. But, for you to be able to make those, you have to make that one. You have to experiment, try different things, and, and make those plays that you see and people jump for. Make it routine. You know, it's like we were watching Steph Curry practice one time when I was in the Bay Area, and like he shoots three pointers way behind the three point line all the time. And he shoots them with great consistency, like at a very high clip in practice. And so when he steps in a foot and he shoots it. I mean, it's like a free throw for him, you know? So when you see him do it and make nine, eight, nine three-pointers in a game, it's like, should I saw him do I saw him make 40 three-pointers before in practice. So, like, you know, that's, that's the kind of repetition and the, the work ethic and the practice that you have to, to do to, to get there. And the reward is 7,000 people giving you a standing ovation, you know? And yeah. it, it makes the work worthwhile. Hey, Larry, uh, I would tell you I'm not a football player, player. I'm extremely impressed with you. There's no ego in you. I love listening to you. I'm not a big speaker listening to you. You've done a phenomenal and great job, and I love everything you had to say tonight. And that's one thing I just really, really am impressed with you. The second, there's a beautiful little boy right here. <laughs> Will you please sign his Um, there's boards of nonprofits that I'm able to sit on that I 
would never have the opportunity to invite them to my college degree. So, like, even I, I didn't know that when I started, but now I'm looking back, I'm just so happy that I, that I chose to do that. Um, I'm going back and forth on it. If I want to go get my MBA, um, you know, it'd be, it's, it's tough to go you know, away to school for two years, um, like it would require, but, you know, something I've, I've given a lot of consideration. But with my mom, that really, you know, pushed the issue. Um, you know, also, I was the only one in my family that had graduated from college, too. Like, only one. And I remember, you know, before my grandfather passed away, um, he, he was like a, he helped raise money for, you know, politicians in, this, in the city of Chicago. Um, and I remember him and his couple of his buddies, about 10 of them were sitting around, you know, at the church. And he was like, Larry, come here, come here, come come meet, come, come meet up my friends. And, you know, this is like my fifth year to be, I'm like all pro, like four times in a row. Like, I said, hey, I thought I was really doing something. My grandfather told me to come sit down. He said, this is my only grandchild that doesn't have a degree. <laughs> <laughs> Duly noted, <bro. laughs> So I, I, I went and got went and got it done, and um, you know something I'm very very proud of. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> okay, I'm going to actually finish with the questions because I know we got to get to meet and greet, and we have another athlete event as well. So uh, I do want to finish with two questions. Though. I feel like um, these make a lot of sense. I'm a um, Cardinal season take over for like 19 years. Uh, this is the little guy, is, if you can't tell, is my son. Now I'm a little bit like. Um, but, you know, Mish and I have talked about kind of making sure how, how important like, family is to us. And I thought it was a pretty cool moment. We know how my, my son here. I'll do this because we've been big fans for years. We've done stuff with the first down college or things like that. Um, so we've been that. We've had the luxury of meeting Larry multiple, uh, multiple times. And, uh, just see what he does here and just overall. And if you guys have heard anything you've ever heard about Larry, about, I mean, yes, he's a could be first ballot Hall of Famer, <laughs> is probably the most classiest dude in the game of football. Like, oh, you, you tell me something bad you heard about Larry Fitzgerald. <laughs> <laughs> Not you. But I will say this I was at the Super Bowl. Uh, San Antonio's didn't have two feet down. That's how I feel. Now I might have been seeing a couple of San Antonio by that time they came out. <laughs> so maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but to me, his two feet weren't down. Uh, come on, man, you gotta give it to me. Was it? Yeah, you, I know you talked to him about it. Yeah, you know I understand, but I don't even. I don't even. Know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like it's, uh, there's nothing I can do to change it. You know, it's, it's something that's happened. You know, it's kind of part of you know what, what my parents always talk to us about. You, know, you, you gotta, you can't see where you're going if you're looking for. You know. This is a very Larry Fitzgerald answer, right? <laughs> okay, last question for you. I'm gonna finish with this, and I appreciate your time. And you kind of went over and like tell us the story, and I'm super grateful for your time. But who's going to win the Super Bowl? Um, if it's pain, it pains me to say this, um, you know, <laughs> the Rams were in our division for you know my entire career, and I really have a strong disdain for them. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're the better football team, and if they both play their best football, I think the Rams play will be better. But um, I think what we learned about this young Joe Burrow is the guy has the heart of a champion. Yeah. You know, see him. Sacked nine times against Tennessee Titans. He was battered and bruised. When his team needed him the most, he stepped up. You look at the Kansas City Chiefs game, they're down 14 points going to the half in the most difficult place to play at home with the Arrowhead Stadium. They could have packed it up, you know, at the halftime, but they fought. On that third down scramble he had where the guy had him on the collar, he's able to escape, get the first down. He's a team. The conviction that he plays with, and um, the moment is not too big for him. He's young, but the moment is not too big for him. And, um, you know, if they if they can just channel that type of energy throughout the course of the game as a team, I mean, I think they they have a really good position. I love it. You see a little bit of the you in Joe No. You don't want the turtleneck and the. I can't. I can't throw it like. Even that's weird. Never smoked a cigar. Either. <laughs> Well, 
Wallace and I, I'm grateful. Hopefully, you guys know, like, the 69 months, able to watch this guy on the football field for years. And I've had a lot of heart and soul and blood, sweat, tears with you, man. Like, a lot of it is hard being an Arizona Cardinals. It teaches you about yourself. But it's exciting, you know. I did see you losing the game of pigs to Devin Booker, so you know, maybe you should just you know, stick to it. I, I mean, I would, I would hope Devin will be me. That's true. But you, just, but you were talking the big game there. I mean, <laughs> Listeners, thank you so much again for listening to this podcast week after week. We are extremely grateful. Again, the whole purpose of this podcast is to give back to the home services industry that we love so much, whether you're a rhino or not. We really, really appreciate all the subscribers. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please go in and subscribe and you'll get all the episodes sent to you automatically weekly. Also, we have really enjoyed your feedback. Uh, it's so meaningful for us when we get to read the nice comments that you guys put. So keep doing that. And if you don't know how to do it, Here's what you got to do. You search for To The Point Home Services on Apple Podcasts. You click on our profile, scroll all the way down to the bottom, and hit write a review. And be honest and share your story and how the podcast has impacted you and your business. Thanks again from the bottom of our hearts at To The Point Home Services Podcast. We appreciate you.